0: Last time we talked about the covenant of God with his people Israel at Mount Sinai. We talked about the renewal of the covenant after the worship of the golden calf. We also talked about the emphasis in Exodus on the Sabbath day and about the tabernacle as a fulfillment of the promise of God to Abraham, I will be your God and the God of your children. This time what I want to do is look at the books, briefly at the books of Leviticus and Numbers in relation to this whole idea of the covenant, and then have a larger section on the book of Deuteronomy. In the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, the covenant is not actually frequently mentioned, though I think that we have seen that it's very important in the book of Levitic in the Book of Exodus. And we're going to see that though it's not very often mentioned in Leviticus, it is also very important in the book of Leviticus. We find the covenant mentioned in Leviticus in chapter two, verse 13, where the uh, uh, god speaks of the salt of the covenant and we find it, it mentioned again in chapter 24 verse 8 where god talks about the showbread taken from the children of israel by an everlasting covenant but the most cha- most important chapter in leviticus about the covenant is chapter 26 there the covenant is mentioned 6 times in that chapter and in this chapter, the Lord is talking about his people's transgressions of the covenant and the judgments he will bring on them when they do they commit these transgressions. And he ends that chapter by saying to them that he will never break his covenant with them. You can find that in verses 44 and 45. He will judge them severely for their breaking of his covenant, but he, on his part, will not break his covenant with them. Yet, for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them, to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. So that's the most important chapter in Leviticus that actually mentions the covenant. But I think what we have to remember is that the whole book of Leviticus is written, is given to Israel in the context of his covenant making. God has come to dwell among his people. The last chapter of Exodus recorded for us God's glory, filling the tabernacle which Moses and the people had built and set up for him. And Leviticus then begins to give to them, especially the ceremonial law. And this ceremonial law has to do with how the people of God are to draw near to him in his tabernacle. He has come to dwell among them. He is a holy God, and he emphasizes this holiness in the book of Leviticus. I'll give you just one reference to it, but you can look it up for yourself and find many other references to it as well. In Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45, God says to Israel, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy. For I am holy, neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And this is one of the things that he keeps on saying throughout the book. I am the Lord your God, I am holy. And therefore, when the people draw near to him, it's necessary to take into account this holiness of God. And the the point of Leviticus is that God provides by the ceremonies of the law, the sacrifices and the cleansings and all the laws about cleanness and uncleanness and so on, God provides a way for his people to draw near to him, that is to enjoy the covenant relationship he has established with them. So the whole book really is about how the people can enter into the enjoyment of fellowship with the God who has come to dwell among them. And the way, of course, is the way indicated by those ceremonies of the law the atonement provided by the sacrifices, the washings provided by all the rites of cleansing, and so on. They must be cleansed of their sin. They must become holy as the Lord their God is holy before they can enter into his presence. We might even say that this is the theme of Leviticus, the necessity of holiness for dwelling with entering into covenant with the holy God of Israel. So that's all I want to say about Leviticus in this connection. Let's turn now to the book of Numbers. The covenant is also not mentioned uh, very often in the book of Numbers, In chapter 10, verse 33, and in chapter 14, verse 44, there is reference to the Ark of the Covenant, and this Ark of the Covenant was called by that name because the covenant of God with Israel, the Ten Commandments, with the introduction, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, was put into that Ark of the Covenant, There is also reference in Leviticus 18 or Numbers 18 verse 19 to the heave offering as a covenant of salt. And finally, the Lord makes a uh, covenant with Phinehas, the son of Aaron, with a particular man and his descendants in Numbers 25 verses 12 to 13. You remember Israel had Uh, committed uh, sexual immorality and idolatry when uh, the Moabites tempted them with their daughters. And Phinehas had had executed the judgment of the Lord on an Israelite uh, noble and the Midianitish woman he was bringing into the camp in the presence of all the leaders of Israel. And the Lord was pleased with what Phinehas had done, and he appointed Phinehas to be the next high priest and made a covenant with him that he and his descendants would continue to be high priests in the future. So those are the places where the um, covenant is mentioned in the book of Numbers. There's also in Numbers, of course, more law. God, uh, gives the laws concerning for example the silver trumpets and their use i believe it's in numbers 10 and there are other places as well here in the book of numbers where god is adding to the the book of the law the the covenant that he has made with israel but i think numbers particularly answers the question Now that God has given his covenant to Israel and has shown them how they are to live with him as their God, now that he has actually fulfilled his promise and shown them the way by which they are to draw near to him and enjoy that covenant relationship, how did the covenant people do? And the answer to that is they did not do well at all. The book of Numbers, especially, records many rebellions of Israel against the Lord and against Moses, many violations of God's covenant with them, many acts of disobedience, gross disobedience against God. They did not obey the covenant which the Lord had given them. And I think in this context also we should refer to the incident of Balaam as recorded in Numbers chapters 23 and 24. There's important information there in those chapters that relates to the covenant. Balaam wanted to curse Israel. God would not allow him to curse Israel and, in fact, forced him to bless Israel. And in the blessings of Israel that God uh, pronounced through the mouth of Balaam, the prophet, we have references to his covenant. Notice this. In Numbers 23, verses 21 and 22, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. Notice that first, that the Lord his God is with him. That's the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham. The shout of a king is among them, is a reference also to a promise that kings would come from uh, Abraham's line. And in uh, the first part of that verse, it's very powerful and very striking that the Lord says he has not observed iniquity In Jacob, after all those years of wickedness and rebellion uh, by Israel in the wilderness, God looks at them and he says, He has not observed iniquity in Jacob. The blood of atonement has covered their sins. The blood of the covenant has covered their sins. And notice, too, in verse 22, the reference to God's promise to bring his people out of Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt. That's something else God had promised to Abraham uh, many years before this. In Numbers 24, verses 9 and 17, actually, we should look at verses 8 and 9 first. Numbers 24, verses 8 and 9, God brings him out of Egypt He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? This is a prediction of Israel's conquest of the land. Again, as God had promised to Abraham. And he ends this with a quotation from other promises he had made to Abraham. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. And in verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. That's a prophecy regarding our Lord Jesus Christ and his kingship as one descended from Abraham. Kings shall come from you, God had said to him. And here we have the great king who descended from Abraham prophesied in the prophecies of Balaam. So God makes references to his covenant with Israel through this prophecy, these prophecies rather, that he forced Balaam to speak. And the book of Numbers then has near the end of it also the whole incident of Baal Peor, where Israel committed sexual immorality and worshipped idols, and God chastised them severely for their transgression of his covenant, but he did not break his covenant. He maintained his covenant with them, and he brought them still into the land as he had promised. So that's what I wanted to say about Leviticus and Numbers. Let's turn now to the book of Deuteronomy. You find many more references to the covenant in the book of Deuteronomy than in Exodus, Leviticus, or Numbers. There are 25 to 30 references to the covenant in the book of Deuteronomy. I think the key reference to understanding the book of Deuteronomy and the covenant in connection with it is found in Deuteronomy 29, verse 1. And the Lord uh, the text says there these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which He made with them in Horeb. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses Now what is what are those words to which chapter twenty nine verse one refers?" And the answer to that question is really almost to, at least, to the whole book of Deuteronomy. At a minimum, it refers to all the words which Moses spoke, beginning from chapter 10, verse 12, all the way to the end of chapter 28. That was one long speech of Moses to the people of Israel, uh, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, to the end of chapter 28. And it's in connection with at least that speech, if not with the 10 chapters or so that precede Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, that the, this verse refers these are the words of the covenant. This book of Deuteronomy is God's covenant with Israel. The book is a covenantal book. It is, we may say, a renewal of or a reaffirmation of the covenant of God with Israel at Mount Sinai. And it repeats many of the laws that you find in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. For example, you find the laws um, regarding the feast days repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. There are references, uh, summary references, to the clean and unclean animals and things of that sort. But the book of Deuteronomy repeats these laws and, and gives this book of the covenant to Israel, especially with a view to their conquest of and life in the land of promise. That's what we have to see, I think. We we might be able to say Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers have to do especially with Israel's life in the wilderness. But Deuteronomy is anticipating their life in the land of promise, in the land of Canaan. So this book is very important in the understanding of God's covenant with Israel. Now, the setting of the book is also important. The book was given, was written by Moses shortly before he died, as the people were preparing to enter the land. The journey from Egypt through the wilderness, to the land of Canaan, is complete. They're poised on the banks of the river Jordan, ready to cross over. The enemies who interfered with their coming to the land of Canaan, like Sihon, and Og, and Moab under Balak, and the Amalekites, they have been defeated. Israel has uh, prepared her way then for entry into the land. She's ready to go, and God then Uh, tells Moses, before they enter the land, I want you to talk to them. I want to make a covenant with them, in fact. And there are uh, uh, some introductory uh, chapters, kind of uh, chapters one to four, I think you can call introductory, and there is some concluding material about the death of Moses and the Um, appointment of Joshua to be his successor, and so on. But the book is almost entirely this um, giving of law to Israel. Now, one of the things that stands out in the the book is that in it, God puts special emphasis on the pronouncing of curses, on disobedience, and blessings on obedience to this covenant. And those are found especially in chapters 27 and 28. So, th- that whole idea of the covenant is, is dominant, really, in this book. And if we we may return then for a moment to chapter 29... Verse 9, we've read already that that speech of Moses concludes in 29 verse 1 with the words, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded. But in 29 verse 9, notice this. Therefore, Moses says to the people, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. And then, again, in chapter 29, verse 12, uh, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself, and that he may be God to you, just as he has spoken to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that whole chapter then is about the covenant and about the uh, giving of the covenant in the earlier part of the book about the necessity of Israel keeping that covenant and about how God is fulfilling has been fulfilling his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be a God to you and to make them a people for himself. So that's kind of a a summary approach, and what I want to do now is look at some of the details of what we've just been talking about. First of all, let's notice then that the laws which God gives in this book of Deuteronomy are focused on their life in the land. I think you see that first of all in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we have a repetition of the Ten Commandments. And one of the differences uh, between the commandments is found in exodus 20 and deuteronomy 5 in fact the most significant difference is in the fourth commandment in exodus 20 god gives as the reason for observing the sabbath day that he rested on the seventh day when he was doing his creative work but in deuteronomy chapter 5 The Lord gives, as the reason for observing the Sabbath day, not his creative work, but his bringing them out of the land of Egypt, the fulfillment, then, of his covenant. Notice this. And remember, verse 15 of chapter 5, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So it is because he has fulfilled his covenant with them that they are to keep the Sabbath day. So that's one thing where you see this relationship to uh, the coming into the land. The coming into the land is the fulfillment of the promise that God is talking about. Then, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, you find God giving to Israel rules for warfare. Now, Israel had fought some battles already, as we know, but now, under Joshua, she was going to spend a number of years conquering the land of Canaan and taking it for herself and destroying the nations who were there. And God lays down certain rules in Deuteronomy 7 for her warfare, with these nations. So that too has to do with her uh, conquest of and life in the land. In Deuteronomy 7 and in other places in Deuteronomy, God says to them, warns his people against making covenants with those nations or with their gods. Deuteronomy 7 verse 2 is one place that he does this. He, He says to them, you are coming into the land. You are going to be among these nations. You have to destroy these nations and drive them out of the land. You must not make covenants with them. You must not make covenants with their gods. You must not worship their gods. You must not kind, practice the kinds of worship they practice towards their gods. You must worship me, and you must worship me alone. I am the Lord your God." I am the one who has covenanted with you and taken you to be my people. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 12, one more example of of how these laws are focused on their life in the land. God appoints for Israel or commands Israel that once they are in the land and have settled down in the land, there is to be a central place of worship. He's no longer going to be moving with them through the wilderness as he has done for the last 40 years. Once they have conquered the land, he is going to have one place where his house will be set up, and it's to that place that they are to go for their worship, for the feast days, for the offering of sacrifices, for the bringing of their tithes, and so on. There will be then a central place of worship And this, of course, characterized Israel's history from that time on. The tabernacle was set up at Shiloh, and later on the temple was established at Jerusalem. So the laws were focused on life in the land of Canaan. But we also mentioned that the curses and blessings are given particular emphasis here. Now God had spoken about these kinds of things before and the law itself contains certain curses in in the second commandment for example he will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him that uh, kind of thing is found in other places also in leviticus that the curses upon disobedience but this is given Particular prominence in uh, chapters 27 and 28 of Deuteronomy. And so we want to look at those chapters briefly now. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 1 to 10, we find first a reference to the fulfillment of the covenant, the promise of the land. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over the Jordan, that is, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. So he's reminding them again of what he has done for them in the past and how he is fulfilling the promises to them. And he says to them, because this is what I have done, you need to set up stones on Mount Ebal, and you need to write the law on these stones. There were several stones, at least, and we don't know exactly what parts of the law were written on them. Perhaps the whole of that um, covenant of God with Israel, as uh, found in Deuteronomy uh, 10 uh, through 28. Um, And they were also then to set up an altar and offer burnt offerings and peace offerings on that altar, That is, the blood of the covenant was to be shed, and they were to uh, eat and drink with God in the peace offerings. And God says to them, in connection with this whole um, work then of setting up these stones and offering these sacrifices, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 27, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God, Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. So there's the relationship between the law and the covenant. You have become the people of the Lord your God. God has fulfilled his promise to you. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. The same relationship we see between the covenant of God with us and the law today. He has become the Lord our God, therefore we must obey his commandments. But all this is is really arrangements for Israel to do something later on. When they have come into the land of Canaan, God is, is not saying, do this now, immediately, while you are here, still east of the Jordan. No, he's saying, after you have entered the land, then you, and you are east of the Jordan, in the land which I promised to Abraham, and in which he was a sojourner, then you are to do this. And what you are to do is not only set up these stones and offer these sacrifices, but you are also to place six tribes on Mount Ebal and six tribes on Mount Gerizim. And the Levites are to proclaim the blessings and curses that are here outlined in these two chapters. Now, when you look at the end of chapter 27, then you find in verses 15 and following the curses which the Levites were to pronounce. Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. So you have this whole list of curses that are pronounced. And to every one of those curses that the Levites pronounce, the people are to say, Amen, so be it. We submit to this curse of the covenant. In fact, there are some who say that this Amen is a kind of oath-taking, and they may well be right about that, that this is a kind of oath that the people of Israel are swearing. We will submit to these curses of the covenant if we are disobedient. And then, if you look at chapters twenty-eight and 20, uh, chapter twenty-eight, you find a little bit different kind of material, but still material that's related to blessings and curses. In chapters one, in chapter twenty-eight, verses one to fourteen, you find the, uh, God explaining to His people the, the relationship between obedience and blessing. There's, this is not pronouncement here. But he's simply explaining to them what is the relationship between obedience and blessing. It shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country, and so on. And then in chapter 28, verses 15 to 68, he explains the relationship between disobedience and cursing. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country, and so on. Now, it's very striking there in chapter 28 that you have 14 verses at the beginning of the chapter which explain the relationship between blessing and obedience, and 54 verses which explain the relationship between cursing and disobedience. There's much more material given to the uh, explanation of disobedience and curse than there is to blessing and obedience. The emphasis is very much on the curses. And it's striking also that um, this material then that the Lord gives to them is related to their life in the land. When you read through those blessings and when you read through those cursings, you find that those blessings and curses have to do with their life in the land. For example, you find in verse 11, regarding blessing, the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of the ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. And in the cursing on disobedience, verse 18, cursed shall be the fruit of your body, and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. In fact, the Lord says, if you do not obey me, then ultimately I'm going to remove you from the land altogether. These blessings and curses are incorporated into that the words of the covenant which Moses spoke with them, which God made with them there as they stood on the border of the land of Canaan and here this uh, the lord is very explicit that he will curse disobedience that he will bless obedience and these curses are in fact then called in deuteronomy 29 verse 21 one the curses of the covenant the lord would separate him from all the tribes of israel for adversity according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. So it's covenant cursing, which the Lord threatens against them. Nevertheless, the Lord will not break his covenant with them until everything has been fulfilled. So let's uh, then... Take a brief look also at the uh, end of the book, chapters 29 through 34. We've already looked at chapter 29 uh, somewhat, but a couple of other things about that chapter. In that chapter, in the early part of that chapter, we read about how the Lord has done great things for them. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's preserved them through the wilderness. He's defeated Sihon and Og. He's given them many blessings, and therefore he says in verse 9, Keep the covenant, and you will be blessed. And uh, in verse 14, he gives us the purpose of this covenant. Chapter 29, verse 14, I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today, For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt, and that we came through the nations which you passed by, and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold. But he's giving this covenant, he says, verse 18, So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. So the Lord is saying, I'm giving you this to prevent sin, to prevent your breaking of my covenant in the future. And he says, verse 20, If you do nevertheless break my covenant, the Lord will not spare you. And the Lord will not spare you. The purpose of that is also explained so that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say when they see the plagues of that land and the sicknesses which the Lord has laid on it, the whole land is brimstone, salt and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger. And so that the nations will say, verse 24, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Then people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, for they went and served other gods and worshipped them. So the Lord is going to bring judgment on them. Covenant curses on them if they do not keep his covenant as he commands them. Now, let's go on then to chapter 30. In chapter 30, the Lord actually does a very interesting thing. He looks to the future and he says to Moses regarding the future of Israel, you know what? These people are going to break my covenant. I know that they are going to break my covenant. In verse 1 already of chapter 30, It shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord will bring you back from captivity. So he's prophesying about the future of Israel. And he says, I'm going to bring blessing on you in the land of Canaan, but I know that you're going to break my covenant. You're going to be cursed because of your breaking of my covenant. And I'm going to send you out of the land just as I threatened in the curses in chapter 28. When you return to me in the land, then know that I will remember my covenant and bring you back to the land again. In chapter 31, then, we have the appointment of Joshua to be Moses' successor and the captain of the Lord's host. But this chapter is also very interesting in that it intertwines two different subjects, not just the command uh, to Joshua, the charge to Joshua, but also material about the the law of God. So, in verses one to eight, God tells Moses, uh, "You are to command Joshua to be the one to uh, take your place." He's he's telling Moses who his successor. Will be, then in verses nine to thirteen, in the God says to uh, Moses, "You have to uh, give the book of the law to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to the elders of Israel, and you have to command them." At the end of every seven years at the appointed time in the year of release at the feast of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. So he tells them, he lays down another law, every seventh year the law is to be read at the feast of the tabernacle to all Israel. That that goes from verse 9 through verse 13. Then in verses 14 and 15, God comes to Moses and he says, Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting, that I may inaugurate him or charge him. So Moses and Joshua appear before the Lord there at the tabernacle. Then in verses 16 to 21, God goes back to the subject of the law. And he says to Moses, behold, you will rest with your fathers and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger will be aroused against them in that day and I will forsake them. So there is this going to be this rebellion against Israel, against God rather by Israel. And so God says to him, verse 19, Now therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the, ch- the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. So God commands Moses write down a song and this song is to be a song for israel for witness against israel when she breaks the covenant of the lord that's in chapter 31 verses 16 to 21 and then in chapter 22 and and verses 22 and 23 of that chapter joshua is charged be strong and of good courage and in verses 24 to 29, Moses gives the book of the law to the Levites to be a witness against Israel because he knows their rebellion and their stiff neck. In chapter 32, we have then that song of Moses, that inspired song of Moses. He proclaims the name of the Lord. He describes the sin which the people will commit. He calls them in their Uh, in the judgment which the Lord will bring on them to remember the Lord's goodness in redeeming them and giving them a good land. He describes the judgments which the Lord will bring on them because of their sin, a reminder of the covenant curses. He predicts also, we should note, the uh, compassion of the Lord for his people even though he will bring on them the curses of his covenant. You can see that. Especially at the end of the song, verses thirty-six to forty-three. Let's just read a couple of verses from those um, that part of the song. For I raise my hand to heaven. This is God speaking and say, As I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, and render vengeance to his adversaries, he will provide atonement for his land and for his people. And so the Lord promises, again, to maintain his covenant, to forgive the sins of the people. This song is a witness to them of the judgments that the Lord will bring on them because of their disobedience. But the Lord says, I will not break my covenant. I will keep my covenant. I will provide atonement for my land and my people, and that atonement is provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of the book then, uh, the Lord tells Moses that he will die, Moses blesses the tribes, chapter 33, and Moses dies and Joshua takes his place. But I think what we should gather then from this whole discussion of the book of Deuteronomy is that this is the nature of God's covenant with us too. This is the way God works in his covenant. He comes, he makes covenant with his people. He calls his people into fellowship with himself. He comes and dwells among them. He becomes their God and they become his people. He enriches them and blesses them and gives to them multiple blessings. And when he comes to them with his covenant, he says to them, Now that I am the Lord your God, you must obey me. You must keep my commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. He says it to us too. It's the same thing. It's the same essential idea that he has in the New Testament. And in that new covenant of the New Testament... And God also then says to us, there will be blessing in the way of obedience. There will be cursing in the way of disobedience. I will not break my covenant, but know this, that if you do not keep my covenant, you will experience the curses of my covenant as Israel experienced them in the Old Testament. And they are severe curses. It is good for us to remember that. The Lord's covenant is an unbreakable covenant, but that does not mean that the Lord will overlook our sins and will dismiss them as of no account. He provides atonement for them in the Lord Jesus Christ, but he does not simply overlook them. He brings his judgment and his curse upon them. And his people sometimes suffer severely because of this, this chastening hand of the Lord upon them. That's the lesson of the book of Deuteronomy. Keep my covenant and be blessed. Break it and you will be cursed. May God bless you with his word.